We're going to continue uh, our series in, in, in reaching out. And I'd like us to, to pray before we come to God's word. So let's pray together now. Almighty God, we thank you that we are in your presence. We thank you that you've promised that where two or more are gathered together, there you will be also. Heavenly Father, sometimes in our hearts, we don't feel your presence. And sometimes that's because sin is in the way, or we're cold, or there's distractions, or there's many different reasons. Heavenly Father, we come to you pleading that you would deal with those reasons in our lives. And may we know in a special way your voice speaking to us this morning through your word. Help me to be your mouthpiece. Help me to bring your word. But, oh Lord God, what we need is the Holy Spirit to make it alive and living. May the Holy Spirit help me and enable me to do what I cannot do. And may the Holy Spirit do in each of our lives what we cannot do. And that's help us to understand your word, to apply your word, and to make it real to us. And this morning we ask especially that you would help us to listen carefully and to examine what's been said against your word. And we ask, Almighty God, that you would keep us with an open heart and a teachable spirit, and that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we'd be doers also for your namesake. And to your glory we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I just wanted to say something sort of by way of, of introduction and explanation uh, with regard to uh, this, this series of reaching out. We, we long for us as a church to be a church that reaches out uh, to the locality, that shares the gospel. You may call that evangelism, you may call that witnessing, you may call it reaching out. But that's what we want to do as a church. We are called to reach out. We saw that a few weeks ago in the Great Commission. All disciples are told to go out into the world and to make other disciples, and that is to reach out and to uh, share the gospel, to share the good news. Now, last week we looked at African traditional religions and how we can reach out to people who are under the influence of that. And then this week we're taking the subject of Christianized Africans. And I was thinking, you may think, well, it's a bit strange. Why are we emphasizing those two things when we're not actually in Africa? Well, if you look around, hopefully you'll get a clue of why there is an emphasis here on Africa and, and that situation. Now, I'm talking about Christianized Africans... And that doesn't mean this problem is exclusive to Christianized Africans. There are Christianized people in Europe and in the US and other parts of the world and they have just the same problems, similar but different. But you are not Americans in general, <laughs> predominantly. Uh, you are Africans. And so that's why I'm wanting to make that emphasis this morning. It's, it's not because uh, I've got a particular grudge against Africa. That's not the case. It's not because I think Africa is particularly wicked and the rest of the world is wonderful. That is definitely not the case. 
that there's lots that could be said and should be said about Christianized people in other parts of, of the world. But today, the emphasis is Africa. So I'm wanting you not to take this personally. Yeah? But I'm wanting you to see it in the context of who we are as a church and what we need to hear from God's word. Now some people would say, why do we need to talk about reaching Africans when 57% of sub-Saharan Africa is Christian? 57% of sub-Saharan Africa is Christian. That's what, that's what statistics say. That means 21% of the world's Christians are from Africa. So, so why do we need to reach out to Christians? So that, that may seem a bit strange to you. Why, why do we need to reach out to Christianized Africans? Why do we need to reach out to Christianized anybody? We're going to be looking at this passage in John chapter 3 and the first 15 verses because I believe it really speaks into this situation. You see... Christianized Africans have a religion. Note my words carefully. Christianized Africans have a religion. Nicodemus had a religion. He was religious. He was a Jew. And he came to Jesus. This is what the passage tells us. He was religious. Nicodemus had knowledge. It tells us here that we know. He knew things. He knew things about Jesus. He knew things from the Old Testament. He knew religious stuff. He had a position. He had, he had respect. He was a ruler of the Jews. And, and also within this, he was respectful. He had a good attitude, you could say. He came to Jesus and he called him Rabbi. He wasn't out there doing silly, wild and things. He was just rabbi. And he'd seen miracles. And he came to Jesus with a statement. And you see, the reality is from his statement that he knew of Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. He knew of Jesus, but he did not personally no, Jesus. He didn't have a relationship with Jesus. He was religious. He had knowledge. He was in position. He was respectful. He'd seen miracles. He had this statement. He had this knowledge. He knew of Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. And friends, that is the Christianized African. There are many, many people in Africa who are religious. And they have knowledge and they can quote scriptures to you. And, and there's many Africans in, in churches who have positions and we know that Africans like positions. So do Turks. So do many people. And, and, they're, and they're respectful. And you Africans are fantastic respectful. It's, it's good. And just as he'd seen miracles and wanted to see miracles... Christianized Africans like miracles. And they're full of statements. And this is it, friends. They know of Jesus. But they don't know him. They want something. But they don't 
want what Jesus is offering. You see, the tragedy is this. The tragedy of the majority of Christianized Africans have no idea of what it is to be born again. And so that's why we call them Christianized. They're Christianized. They have knowledge. They have religion. They are respectful. They have all those things. But they're not born again. And they do not know Jesus. In, in the main part, as we were saying last week, they've come from a cultural background of African traditional religions. And the African traditional religion has become Christianized. Before it was the witch doctor, the medicine man, the herbalist, and now he's being changed for the man of God. And, and so often people see religion as the way of getting what they want. So why is it that on a crossover service this place is packed on New Year's Eve? And it's packed on New Year's Eve because of Christianized Africans who think that by coming here they're going to get some sort of blessing and the next year is going to work out really well for them. Why is it that at the beginning of the month and the end of the month the crowd in the churches are more? Because people haven't got a relationship with God. They're not coming to worship Jesus. They're coming to the church because they think that by starting the month or finishing the month in the church, they will be blessed. They see religion as getting what they want. Just like ATR, African Christian religion, provides for protection, provides for prosperity, provides for fertility, provides for health. Their Christian religion does just the same. Elijah Nidaphon of Kingdom of the Royal Kingdom Citizen International said this There are so many people who could have had a bigger and better life but they could not achieve their destiny because there was no one to lead them with a vision I offer this guidance and bring people together with God. Elijah does not live up to his Old Testament name. Because this Elijah is not speaking, thus says the Lord. This Elijah is saying, this is my thing. He is saying to people that he knows better than God. And with him bringing you to God, God will give you bigger and better things. And that is Christianized religion. That is not a relationship with the living God. Within the context of that, it is said that the, the faithful believers who discover the whole Holy Spirit will lead to transformed lives. And there is half a truth there. Because when the Holy Spirit works in your life, you are truly transformed. But what that goes on to say, and when he goes on to say, and he says, and that sickness and misfortune can only befall heathens. This is Christianized African 
been taught from a church that the Holy Spirit's job is to keep you from misfortune and to keep you from sickness and the only people that that can befall is the heathens and so logically we need to ask ourselves have you ever had a misfortune? yes have you ever had sickness? yes well according to this guy you're a heathen and you haven't got the Holy Spirit You, you know it, that so often a donation to God, a tithe, an offering, is, in the African context, the donation is tied to God's blessing, is business for usual in many churches. And, and so, what this gentleman was saying was, so often people bring together miracle cures, and divine healing and binding of this and casting out of that not because they know Jesus as their saviour but because they want money for themselves and the church has become business according to research in that research that I quoted last week Across Africa, across the Christians of Africa, African Christians, Christianized Africans believe that God will grant wealth and good health to all who have enough faith. So let's work on this. If you haven't got the wealth that you think you should have, and if your health is not right, it's because you've not got enough faith. And that is not the gospel, that is not God's word, that is just a religion, and that's just a pulling together of ideas. And apparently in Nigeria, 77% of people think that. And 95% of people think that in Liberia. And 53% of people think that in Cameroon. Now God can grant wealth. And God can grant health. But he does it through his grace and his mercy and not because of our faith God works in these ways and so this is the situation that I'm wanting to talk about because this is the situation where Nicodemus was Nicodemus was like that and I could have said very very similar things about the church in the UK or the church in the US or the church in, in, in Europe but I'm speaking into the context of Christianized Africans now Nicodemus came at night that's what the passage says he came at night and there's lots of speculation of why he came at night but the one thing that I want to comment on that is I think he came because he was fearful of others he was fearful that others in that religion that he practiced would, would have something to say why are you going to Jesus? why are you seeing him? you see so often people who are in a religious environment are in bondage of fear of what others may think and so very practically we should be praying that people who are in bondage like that are released from this fear fear can stop people from coming to Jesus he was fearful it seems he came at night in secrecy and as he came in night in secrecy he said Rabbi we know that you're a teacher come from God 
For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Obviously he's been thinking. Sounds like some of them have been talking. And and he's come to this conclusion that Jesus must have come from God because there are these signs that he did. These signs could only come from God. Now had Jesus been a Christianized African religious leader, do you know what he'd have done? He'd have pulled out another miracle to fandazzle and wow Nicodemus. That's part of the reason he was there. He was there because of the signs. He was there because of what happened. But Jesus didn't do a miracle. And you see what Jesus did do was a miracle because Jesus answered the great unasked question. Nicodemus didn't come with a question. But Jesus, the miracle worker, looked into the heart of Nicodemus and saw there was a question. Saw that there was something going on. You see, God breaks past the mask that we put on. He sees the heart of the matter. And he answers the big questions. And so as we want to reach out to Christianized Africans, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to discern in our lives what questions we need to ask. What questions is this person asking? What are the emptiness in their life? Where are their challenges? What are their problems? And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom how to answer them. You see, Jesus answered him, verse 3, and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, why did Jesus say that? Nicodemus didn't ask about the kingdom of God per se, did he? He he just said, we know that you're a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus says, truly, truly. Truly, truly, when Jesus says it, it's like the highlighter pen. He's putting a highlighter on this. This is important. Nicodemus, listen up. Truly, truly, verily, verily, amen, amen, I say to you. One is, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, Nicodemus had to learn that he needed to be saved. And friends, Christianized Africans need to see that they need to be saved. Christianized Africans need to see they need to be saved. You see, Nicodemus came to Jesus and and we see that the religion that he had was no way to the kingdom. He couldn't make the kingdom through religion. He was religious. He was a Jew. He was devout. He had prestige. He had riches. He was a ruler within that system. He would have had respect. He'd have been like the elder. He'd have been like the the big man in the village. The big man in the church situation. People would have respected him. But he was not going to heaven. He wasn't going to heaven. This Nicodemus, this religious man... This man who probably went to the synagogue. This man that probably fasted. This man that definitely did the different things that the religion demanded of the men was not going to heaven. And maybe some of you today, in here, you are very religious. And and you're here thinking that by being here, you will be saved. By doing stuff, you will make yourself right with God. Well, it didn't work for Nicodemus. And it will not work for you. Religion will not save you. 
Doing stuff will not save you. Prestige and riches and respect will not save you. And they've been seeing miracles. And and seeing miracles is not the way into the kingdom. He'd seen miracles. He'd heard of miracles. Maybe he was there at some of them. Maybe he knew some of the people that had been healed. Maybe he'd even been at the wedding and tasted the wine. We don't know. But he knew of these miracles. He had a knowledge of God. There was a theory of who he was in his mind. He came to Jesus. But he was not going to heaven. And seeing a miracle and having an experience is not going to save you. It's not the way to the kingdom. And verse 6 has been born of the flesh. Been born of the flesh. That which is born of the flesh. This is no way to the kingdom. And this brings us all in. This sucks us all into this. Whether you are into African traditional religion or whether you are a Christianized African or Cypriot or Englishman or whoever, whether you're a, a Buddhist, whether you're an atheist, whether you're whatever you are, we're all flesh. We're all born of flesh. And then that which is born of flesh has the same problem. It's the same problem of all of us. He is human. He was born in sin. Nicodemus was born in sin, just as you and I were born in sin, just as everyone in this world was born in sin. He was not right with God, and no amount of trying on his part could make him right with God. The, 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 the monks of old would, would, would flog themselves, thinking that will get their sins forgiven walk on their knees there are people who fast for for days and weeks and they're thinking that by doing these things it will save them and it will not because we're all born of the flesh we're all born of sinners and if you're looking on at that day and age you'd have looked at Nicodemus and you'd say he is the man he's part of the kingdom and Jesus looked on and said to him No, you're not. He wasn't. And so just as Nicodemus needed to be saved, Christianized Africans need to see their need of salvation. And so practically this means that when you spend time with these folk, when you're there with them and maybe you have opportunity to chat to them, You want to find out, you want to work out by asking questions and listening to them. Where are they putting their trust for salvation? I'll ask them in terms that they may understand. Like like say, are you going to make it to heaven? Yes, I think so. How is that going to be? How are you going to make it to heaven? Oh, I'm going to make it to heaven because I've done this. I'm going to make it to heaven because I am doing this. I'm going to make it because... And you see, what we have to do is we have to listen. And we have to lovingly call it out for what it is. You see, point number three. Christianized Africans need to see they cannot save themselves. It's impossible. They need to see they cannot save themselves. There's an incredible picture here that Jesus brings to Nicodemus. 
And he tells Nicodemus in verse 4 and verse 7 that he needs to be born again. Verse 3 starts, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, and like I said before, this is something big coming. Listen up, listen up Nicodemus. Take heed, listen, this is what it is. And I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus has been told what's very unpopular nowadays, there is only one way to the kingdom of heaven. And the only way is to be born again. And so, in many ways, Nicodemus who came secretly at night is told the secret the secret of doing the impossible the secret of making it to heaven and and Nicodemus just sees this as something that is impossible it is something that is quite strange because there he is a learned man a religious man a man that probably could quote passages and passages of the Old Testament is there in front of Jesus and Jesus was saying to be in my kingdom to be part of my kingdom you need to be born again And there was this fully grown man talking to another fully grown man. And that fully grown man who had done amazing miracles said, You need to be born again. And you can imagine Nicodemus, can't you? You can understand why he said what he did in verse 4. How can a man be born again when he's old? I mean, he must have had a bit of faith. Because he said, when he's old, I I would just... I've I've never seen, seen a baby being born again. It doesn't happen, does it? It's not natural. Nothing gets born again. We are born and we're in the world and being born again doesn't happen. And and so this is strange. And he said, can he enter into the mother's room a second time to be born? His mind was being blown. I think he probably regrets saying that. Because it's foolish, isn't it? On the one hand. But it's underlining how impossible it is for us as humans to make ourselves right with God. Because that's an impossible thing to do. Doctors and and, and surgeons and scientists have done some amazing things. But no one's been reduced back and put in the womb and born again. Physically, humanly, naturally, it's just an impossibility. And so I think we have to forgive him because he does not know what we now know. You see, we now have an understanding of what this term being born again again means. But on face value, his his instruction is just implausible. And and Jesus realized that in verse 4 he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. I think sometimes Jesus had a bit of fun when he's speaking to people. He's taking him to the edge. He's prodding him. You see, he, Jesus starts this section in verse 7, in verse 5, and he, and, he, and he brings this truly, truly to him. He, he brings him there. He, he doesn't back down. He doesn't say, oh, don't matter, doesn't worry. You know, he, he brings it up. He says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And you see, Jesus is, is teaching here. And he's building on. And, and this statement that being, being born of water and the spirit is, 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 is sort of a difficult one for us to get our minds around. And it can be open to huge misinterpretation. It's always best to let the Bible explain the Bible. And, and, and what Jesus was talking about just before being born again gives us real light 
into what's going on. You see, the previous chapter, Jesus has cleansed the temple. And and prior to that, Jesus has done a miracle, a sign. And the miracle and the sign that John records is this miracle where Jesus turns the water into wine. And, and, And that water would have been ceremonial water for washing. We, we get that from the passage. And Jesus changed that ceremonial water for washing into wine. And, and Jesus was saying in picture language, look, this washing in the old ceremony is old. And what we need is to be washed in the New Testament way, in the blood of Jesus. And, and wine is the symbol of Jesus' blood. And it was all bizarre and and difficult for him because he was there in the moment but when we look back we we can see this Jesus had had told the religious that washing was not enough Jesus, John had had done that through that first sign and Nicodemus would have known all about ceremonial washing because he was religious he would have washed before he ate he would have washed before he did that he would have washed before he did that he would be concerned about being unclean and all this ceremony And so he's been told that he needs to to be washed, born of the water. But there's something more. He needs to be washed in the Spirit. You see, sins need washing away with something deeper than ceremonial water. To to be born of the Spirit needs that a, a spiritual birth is supernatural. To be born of the Spirit is something deeper than just a physical rebirth. This is a, a spiritual rebirth that Nicodemus has been taught about. It's an impossibility to do himself. But this is what he's needing. He's needing to be born again. And being born again needs to be washed clean. And the Holy Spirit needs to wash him clean. And the blood of the Lamb needs to wash him clean. And it's supernatural. And it's not something that can be done by yourself. It's impossible. Verse 8 carries on, doesn't it? says, you must be born again, verse 7, and then into verse 8, and the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes, and so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit works independently of us. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And being born by your own doing is possible. But the Holy Spirit can and does make the difference. And the Holy Spirit makes the change. And we cannot tell the wind what to do. And we cannot control the wind. And we cannot explain the wind. But we can see its effect. And it's just like that with the Holy Spirit. We can ask the Lord to bless us with the Holy Spirit. We can ask the Lord to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can do things that grieve the Holy Spirit. But we cannot and we must not tell God what to do. Because the Holy Spirit is God. We cannot tell Him what to do. We cannot control the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit works. And Jesus was telling Nicodemus that for him to be born again wasn't a physical thing. For him to be born again was a spiritual thing. And the Holy Spirit can make the difference.
And so we, we, we realize that it cannot be done themselves and, and Krishnaized Africans need to see that they cannot save themselves. But I just want to ask you this question now. Those of you that are Christians, those of you that are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour, those of you that are wanting to reach out, when was the last time you told somebody they need to be born again? It's a very telling question. Maybe we've encouraged someone to make a decision. But the wording here is very definite. You need to be born again. And friends, you need, if you're wanting to reach out to African Christianized friends, you need to tell them to be born again. That's what they need to hear. They need to hear that they cannot save themselves. They need to hear that trusting in their own works, trusting in the bishop's works, trusting in the priest's work, trusting in a a, a religion is not going to save them. You need to call them to be born again. And I I say, ask them and tell them to need to be born again like it depends on you, but remembering that just as you cannot save yourself, The Christianized African can't save themselves. And so we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will do what only He can do. I think so much reaching out and evangelism fails because we do it in our stress. It will only work if the Holy Spirit is working. And one of the key things we should be praying for on a Tuesday evening, when we pray for our lost friends, when we pray for our neighbours, we should be praying that the Holy Spirit works. It doesn't matter how well you say something. Uh, Clive again spoke the gospel to the children using the illustration of the jelly babies. And it was great, wasn't it? And it was simple. And it made sense. But it's of no value to those young children unless the Holy Spirit touches their hearts and their lives. And similarly, when you have opportunity to speak to somebody, no matter how good or bad your speaking is, it's not going to work unless the Holy Spirit works. And so we need to be pleading as we reach out that the Holy Spirit will work. We need to tell them they need to be born again and we need to point them to Christ because fourthly, Christianized Africans need to see the Saviour. That's what they need. They need to see the Saviour and the only Saviour is Jesus from heaven. Verse 13 talks about this. No one has ascended into heaven except he who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus came from heaven to this world. God himself incarnate came into this world. And John in this third chapter is underlining the providence of Jesus. He's underlining that Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a teacher. He is the Son of God. He is from heaven. He is the Son of Man. That's a special name for Jesus from the Old Testament. But not just as Jesus from heaven. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb that was slain for the sins of his people. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man being lifted up. You've got to remember, 
Nicodemus was religious. Nicodemus knew the law. Nicodemus knew the Old Testament. Nicodemus could tell you all that happened in the wilderness. And so this story would have meant immediately to him what's going on. Now for us it might feel a bit more remote. I'm quite sure that a lot of you do know the story. But what was happening here in that wilderness is people were dying. And the way to be saved was to look at the serpent that was made, the bronze serpent that was made by Moses under God's instruction. And when they looked at that, God healed them from their snake bite. And then you see, what is going on here is Jesus is saying, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus was going to be put on the cross lifted up on the cross Nicodemus needed to be washed clean of his sins the punishment that he deserved could not be ignored that would not be righteous Jesus the son of man came from heaven lived a perfect life and paid the price for the sins of his people on the cross that's the picture language that's going on here Nicodemus needed to see Jesus as the sacrifice as the saviour Lifted up is a play on words. It's, it's raised up, exalted. And that's what Jesus did. And then at this stage, Jesus has not yet spelt out, in this chapter 3 of John, he's not yet spelt out how he's going to die. But we who see the big picture, we know the message is clear. And if we want to see the exalted Christ in heaven, we have to look to the cross. Because the only way to make the kingdom of heaven is via the cross. Because the cross is what deals with our sins. And it's the cross is what deals with the sins of Christianized people. Because that is the only way. Verse 15. Salvation is only found in believing in Jesus. That he, whoever believes in him, may have eternal life you see if our Christianized Africans are to participate to have eternal life they have to be born again and if Christianized Africans are to be born again they have to not only look to Jesus you see Nicodemus looked and knew of Jesus but he had to know Jesus to believe in him be by changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and you see friends this is the message that we have to share to these people you might think well this is judgmental I'm thinking that they're not Christians friends don't let the devil sell that lie to you talk to them and find out if they're trusting in Jesus and if they are praise God and encourage them and if they're not, point them to Christ because that's the only way of salvation it may be right now in this meeting there are those who think they are right with God because of the things that they are doing and they need their eyes opening and time and time and time again we've said it from this pulpit that the only way is through the Lord Jesus Christ the only way to have your sins forgiven is trusting that Jesus paid the price we need the Holy Spirit right now to work in the lives of those that are caught in that situation. Friends, we have to be faithfully proclaiming it. And we have to be pleading that the Holy Spirit will work in power. Because without the Holy Spirit's work, nothing, nothing, nothing will happen. And we could be tempted to think, well, we've been doing this and nothing has happened. 
And my last point is this. We will see Christianized Africans being born again. We will. Because God's promised. God has promised that in heaven there will be people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And God has his people. And our role is not to give up telling people they must be born again. Our role is to to go out and to share the gospel. And proclaim Christ be born again. You may have heard the name George Whitfield. He was a pastor, preacher in England in the 18th century. Now get this. This is before the days of social media and and mass being able to get to people that way. He preached at least 18,000 times to an estimated 10 million people. He was physically in front of over 10 million people over the, the, the period of his life, of his ministry. On one particular occasion, on the 14th of July, In 1742, in Scotland, he preached for one and a half hours to a congregation of over 20,000 people. No amplification, no sound system, just proclaiming God's word to these people. And the reports of this sermon was that these people there fell under uncontrollable distress like in the field of the battle. And they were carrying people out of the church into the manse where the pastor was, like wounded soldiers. And the pastor of that church wrote in a letter that over 500 souls were saved that day and brought home to God. And do you know what he's preaching on? He was preaching on his favourite text, It must be born again. It's estimated that the Lord used him in the conversion of over 250,000 people. Quarter of a million people. And it's estimated that he preached on the subject, you must be born again, over 3,000 times. That's one in six sermons. And a critic came up to him and said, why do you preach on this subject so many times and repeat it again and again? And Whitfield looked him in the eye and said, Because, sir, ye must be born again. At the end of the Gospel of John, in the darkest moment of the Gospel, when Christ's broken body has been taken off the cross, do you know who's there? Nicodemus. Nicodemus is there. And I believe that he was there because he took the words of Jesus and realized I must be born again. And that secretive man who came to see Jesus in the night is there opening, proclaiming by the action that he took that my Lord, my Savior must be given a proper burial. I believe he's born again. There's power in the gospel, friends. And that's why We have to proclaim 
and keep on proclaiming that you must be born again. And we take a step back and plead with the Holy Spirit that He will work. Let's pray. Almighty God, we live in a broken world. We live in a world where we see sin and shame. We live in a world where Christianity and Christianity has been corrupted and we, we see churches packed with people but they're not worshipping you. And they don't know you as their Lord and Saviour. And it grieves us. And they're there because they've got very real needs in this moment but their real need is they must be born again. Heavenly Father, may we see that. And may we not be judgmental of these people, but may our hearts be broken, and may we go out and wherever we can, proclaim Christ and Christ crucified, and scream it from the rooftops, that you must be born again. But, oh Lord God, we know that no matter how well we present the gospel, how many times we say you must be born again, unless the Holy Spirit works, people won't be born again. And so, Almighty God, we plead this morning for any here in this building who do not yet know you, who are not born again, who are on their way to hell and damnation for an eternity, and we plead with you, Almighty God, that through the power of your Spirit, you will break their hardened hearts and soften them and renew them and make them your children to the honour and the glory of your great and holy name. Oh Lord God, encourage us as the church in seeing people saved. Encourage us as your people to keep going out and proclaiming this wonderful gospel news. And in doing so we pray, Almighty God, that your name will be lifted on high and honoured and exalted. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing our closing hymn in response. It's going to uh, come up and the choir will uh, lead us. So please stand with them and sing to God's praise.